Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast to help you save the best and burn the rest of the culture and faith practices. And today we have a pretty interesting episode that I haven't really heard any anybody else talk about. Um, Jesse, have you? I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. I mean, it's kind. Of, it is nice to talk about something which I, as far as I'm aware, is a little bit unique because it seems that recently every time we've covered a like a major news sort of story, it seems like we're we're like one of three or four podcasts that are all talking about the exact same thing. So it's yeah. nice to be a bit unique. But it's funny though. I mean, all all of us do. They we all take it in a different angle, you know, and Correct. they come out. Pretty, the, the end product is always pretty different, which I like. I think it is. I think it is um, important to have a multitude of commentary on a topic, not just like one person. Well, that's the funny thing. I mean, like, I mean, this is me revealing how geeky I am. But whenever there's a big Nintendo announcement, there's like three or four YouTubers that I go and I just like to hear their opinions on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because they all and you know they all might have the same opinion, yeah. but something about me just enjoys hearing. Like, oh, what did this person think about it? What did this person think about it? I don't know. I don't know if that's just like, if that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's normal, but it must be because people do it all the time with Uh, podcasts and YouTube. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's super normal. I would say that majority of people listen to one, one major news source. Like, I think that, I mean, if the media is anything to go by, people are becoming more and more polarized. So if you listen to a particular news source or a particular YouTuber, then you tend to form opinions based on that, which is why, like, when I started listening to and watching Jordan Peterson, like, I would just quote off Jordan Peterson stuff all the time. I remember. I, event, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I was, like, enamored, you know? Like, I loved, I loved it. The content was so new and fresh and crazy. And I, I was like, this is the most amazing new thing that's blowing my mind. But then after a while, I started to realize, oh, if I'm just only interpreting life now through Jordan Peterson, that's that's incredibly unhealthy. I need to actually get some diversity in there. So, mm, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think it's natural for us to be drawn to an opinion or a publication that I guess, I guess in some ways, like... Uh, affirms our own beliefs or resonates with us and then a lot of the time we tend to just block everything else out i don't think that's healthy yeah that's true anyway (laughs) so today sorry we got a bit distracted there but today we're talking about and this is i think this is a little bit inspired by um the whole kanye west debacle but also some of the stuff we've seen with um this the general conference and stuff with the adventist church and just a few headlines and stuff we've seen but the question we're really basing this whole episode off is who actually gets to define what christianity is or who who gets to define what it means to be a christian yeah and this is a very important question that we have to ask and it gets even more murky um, when you consider all the cultural and denominational uh, influences. So for us, it might look different being Seventh-day Adventist than to a uh, person who belongs to the Southern Baptist Convention or who is Evangelical Mainline or who is... Um, Open AOG, Brethren. or Yeah, or, or Open Brethren or Closed Brethren. Who knows? 
Um, yeah, so this is this mm, is. I don't a think a close brother will be listening question. to our podcast. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, probably, probably not. Anyway. Probably not open enough to to listen to a no. bunch of crazy Seventh Day Adventists. But I know there isn't one open brethren who listens to our podcast at least. Oh well, it, hello. It, yep. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, but before that, obviously, we have to do one thing that's very important before we get onto the topic. In fact, maybe even the most important part of our entire podcast. <laughs> do you know what I'm referring to, Jesse? Could it be the question of the week? That's right. The question of the week. Wait, I, I just, um, oh, I need to find the listener ones. Where yep. are they all? So we've started asking you guys about um, what questions should we do. We just started off getting them from Reddit and then we started just making questions up. We thought, what are some questions that you guys have? Something silly, something fun. It doesn't always have to be silly, but we thought let's just like do a live sort of Q&A sesh right at the beginning, just like a mini one. Um, yeah. So we thought this is fun. So if you enjoy it, then uh, ask a question or on our uh, Instagram story when we post it up. All right. This week's question is from none other than Nat Picking himself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, Mad Dog Nat Picking. Go and subscribe to <laughs> you on YouTube, people. Oh, yes, please. This is a shout out to Nat Picking. Go and check out his YouTube channel. It's amazing. Um, if you had to go back in time and change any one event in history, what would it be? It's <laughs> a very the, complicated question. The birth of Hitler? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. That's like <laughs> yeah. that's like the, the, the cliche, you know, I'm going to stop an evil dictator from being born or i mean that would kind of that that sort of implies murder so i'm i'm going to change that i don't i don't like that um if you could go back and change one event in history what would it be i know what mine would be all right you go for it cuz i have no flipping clue man i would go back and find another person to document the life of jesus so that we have five gospels not just four so we get more jesus <laughs> <laughs> Who it, do you think there are any other like apostle candidates that could have do you reckon, like, done I'm sure there a are, good job? Or maybe I would have gone back and told Josephus, "Can you write more on the life of Jesus, please? Like, can you document ah. it hevel, more heavily?" Like Josephus was a first-century historian, so yeah. it's like I don't know. Josephus, just going back, if you if you document more on the life of Jesus, more people will read your works. It's in true. The maybe not now, but later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, or I would I would have gotten Paul. I don't know. Go back. I'm just thinking like stuff with the, which sounds kind of weird that I want to mess with the Bible, but I just want to make the Bible. <laughs> in fact, I want to make the Bible bigger because as well, ah. there's a third letter to the Corinthians that we don't that we have don't, that we don't have, but he yes. references it in his his two letters. Yes. So I would love, 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 love to go back and change where that ended up so that we have it today. You know what I mean? That's okay. those are things I yep. think about going back in time and changing which is such a bible geek way of <laughs> yeah thinking about it man every everything that is not as spiritual as that so i just take my hat off to you josh <laughs> I, it's, it's unusual that i had such a spiritual answer to be honest normally i'm the yeah. one with the like with the dumb answers but anyway <laughs> all right <laughs> um okay all right um i oh man if I could go back and change the one part of history, I would probably I would probably prevent 
Julius Caesar from uh, conquering uh, the Gallic states in Europe. Um, because basically what happened, this is like, uh, I'd like to say between 150 and 200 BC, which is when Julius Caesar roughly lived. Um, somebody can correct me on the actual dates. But he basically committed a genocide against um, the, 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 the Gauls and many of the uh, Celtic peoples of uh, Europe and basically changed the course of history because he got a lot of help from some of the Germanic tribes and the fact that we see uh, Scandinavian, Germanic, blonde-haired, blue-eyed people and associate that with Europeans, a lot of Europeans, um, is because of Julius Caesar um, because a lot of those original Celtic tribes uh, no longer live today. So we lost a lot of their culture and we lost a lot of their, um, I guess, DNA in the in the gene pool oh it's kind of sad yeah it is sad i listened to um dan carlin's hardcore history oh yeah um, he did nice. like a six hour episode on the the celtic holocaust so a lot of amazing cool heroes uh verse verse in Gedrix was like the uh amazing like he was like the the hero like the aragorn of the the celts unfortunately he was defeated and subsequently humiliated and executed um but yeah no uh fascinating history hardcore histories it's one of those few podcasts that actually very much earn the name you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> they talk about history and they go hardcore it's like here's a topic and here it is yeah. for six hours you know <laughs> <laughs> like anyway so um, true yeah great great podcast anyway all right yeah on to the topic of the day topic of the day yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, yes, who defines what Christianity is? Um, so, I guess just in reason, I mean, we already did an episode on Kanye West, so I don't really want to talk too much more about it. But um, I think it's just a, it's interesting to see all these people shouting out all of a sudden out of the blue what Christianity is and what it should be and why he doesn't fit into it. Um, yeah. Same with, like, I mean, you, you might have all heard this before and it's been said to me many times, um, especially before I was a pastor, but, you know, you say something or you do something and they're like, oh, that's not Adventist. Mm. And I'm like, what? Like, what? Yeah. Well, since when? You know what I mean? I, yeah. I thought, I've always thought this was Adventist or, you know, and the classic, oh, you don't like haystacks? You're not even Adventist then. <laughs> Which is like our whole shtick, you know. With, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it's an interesting question, maybe a little bit more f philosophical, but it's just like, well, who actually gets to define what that is yeah because there's a and lot of things that go into being a christian or being specifically an adventist that's right so that's who right. actually is there one person out there who's like writing it all down you know i don't know <laughs> that we don't know about the answer's no but anyway we're Describe gonna go into it more. reality <laughs> yeah 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 no but i think i think it's a good question um and and yes uh kanye basically is the reason why um i i at least started thinking about this question um, because he came out and, um, you know, published this album, uh, made the IMAX movie, which I haven't watched it. I don't even know if the IMAX movie is out yet. Um, it is out. It is out? Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully I'll get to have a look at it uh, at some point. But, yeah, Kanye's, Kanye's conversion and subsequent public declaration of his Christianity really is the thing that made me start thinking about this question because... 
Um, as you said, Josh, so many people now have uh, come out and said, well, is this, is it real? Is it fake? A lot of people are, I suppose in some way, uh, I, I suppose you could, you could understand why they're somewhat skeptical of his conversion, given that Kanye is Kanye and he's a tour de force uh, in and of himself. But what it, yeah, what it made me think of, uh, especially as we talked about um, Kanye versus sort of our tradition, the the general conference and the authority structures and the power structures that um, we see represented in there. It's like who actually has the power um, to define what Christianity is, and and as we said at the top of the episode, that varies differently um, for uh, every. Uh, strand or stream of Christianity. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I guess, you, I mean, if you go back historically, you know, you can go back and there was basically the early church. I guess originally it started off with, obviously Jesus made the original definition of what it means to mm. follow the way. Yeah. Um, but then the further away like more removed we are from the life of jesus the more complicated it got because you didn't have somebody Mm. (laughs) laying it out in every situation for you anymore um and it's interesting even in the first couple of centuries after jesus's life you just see the church scatter so much and um, go in all these different directions and as well with the continued multiplication and continued growth and particularly through the gentiles as well you saw so many different kinds of Christian beliefs. Mm. Um, that's where like Gnosticism and all that kind of stuff came in. And it's pretty interesting. Uh, and that's like part of the reason why Paul wrote so many letters and that kind of thing. And, and um, he was really trying to bring people back to, we you know what, what Christianity actually is. And um yeah, I guess it's it was sort of always going to be a bit of an uphill battle when you've got because even when Jews would become Christians, they would bring all of their Jewish yeah stuff and bring that into Christianity, thinking, well, you know, he comes from a Jewish background. Clearly, we must have to do this, this, and this. But then Paul's like, no, don't, <laughs> you know. So it's <laughs> it's pretty interesting, like just watching how that unfolded and how complicated it even became then. Let alone where we are now in 2019. You know, like it's so. Yeah it's such a different world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really, really great um, place to start because in the early church uh, and even in Jesus's ministry, the thing that everybody would have, um, well, at least in the, the Jewish context, which is the context that Jesus found himself in, the, um, the thing that everybody would have understood as being the basis for everything was the law and the prophets, um, you know, the Torah. That was the... I suppose you could say gold standard of what it means to be a an orthodox um, Jew, and mm. Jesus was accused many times of breaking the law and the prophets by his well, what was seen as being quite radical actions of healing people on the Sabbath, on on um, you know all all the things that he did, the things that he stood for, his teachings, which was so countercultural. Um, and Jesus's insistence over and over again was that I have not come to, to, to do away with the law, but rather to fulfill the law. And that is what he claimed that he stood for um, time and time again. And, and we see that in Jesus's life and we see that in the development of Christianity that actually 
the, the Jews started off with the law, but Jesus and God through, well, God through Jesus wanted to take the law into something deeper, more beautiful and more rich. And we see that in the, the new covenant. And, and if you want sort of a rundown of that, just read the book of Romans or the book of Ephesians. And, and there you have sort of an explanation of the new covenant. But as Christianity started to develop, um, people started to ask questions about, well, what do we actually believe on this and this and this? How do we interpret what Jesus said when he, um, when he said this? How do we interpret this particular aspect of, of theology or salvation or any of these other issues that we are debating with? It became this thing where over the, the centuries and even today, we're still struggling with certain aspects of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's complicated. I mean, even when somebody <laughs> asks a question like, would Jesus have Facebook? And I sit there blank, like, I have no idea. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, yes, no, yes, no, I don't know, back and forth. Yeah. But it's just so far removed and so different from the world that Jesus was in. It's so hard to figure out, you know? Um, but that doesn't mean yeah. it's impossible. I mean, ultimately, who gets to decide, who gets to decide what Christianity is, is Jesus mm. and, and, and the Bible. But it's Correct. more when you begin to apply that... <laughs> All of a sudden, yes. you have all of these different outcomes. Well, that's a very that's a very Protestant thing to say. You Thank know, you. Bec- I take that as a compliment. Because, well, yeah, you should. But I mean, like, if you were to even dig into that, like, to to extrapolate on that, who gets to decide what Christianity is? Well, it's God and the Bible, you know, because that's what Protestants have. We have sola scriptura. I didn't say um, God and the Bible. I said Jesus well, and the Bible specifically. Are you saying that Jesus isn't God? No, I'm just I'm just using Jesus very specifically because uh, a lot of people have ideas. Okay, this is a side point, but when you say God, a lot of people have presupposed ideas about what God is before they even get to the Bible. Whereas if I say Jesus and what's written in the Bible, then it makes it a lot more specific as to what I'm referring to when it comes to who defines what Christianity is. Uh, you know, because I'm yeah. not saying God in the Bible, I'm saying Jesus specifically. Because okay. it, it just takes out a lot of the confusion. Yeah. Which maybe we can do another episode on that another time. But yeah, that's <laughs> something I am I was very deliberate in saying Jesus. So I don't like being misquoted. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for correcting me. That's I, all right. I, I enjoy your corrections, Josh. Um, <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> that's the weirdest thing to say. Um, yeah, but no, like when we think of... Uh, like if you were to ask the most the most, you know, baseline average Christian, um, you know, just like the, the average, um, somebody sitting in a church doing Christian-y stuff, paying their tires, doing worship, small groups, service, you know, all the stuff that Christians do. Probably most people would say the scriptures and mm. most people would say God or if they wanted to be specific, they'd say Jesus because after all, as you so, you know, well put, we are followers of Jesus and Jesus is what defines what Christianity is um, through his teachings and all that sort of stuff. Um, so a lot of people would say, but I think a lot of people, and this is maybe telling of where I come from, I don't hear Jesus that much. In terms of like, he's our basis. I hear the Bible mostly. I don't know what your experience has been with that, but yeah, when it I comes would, to, I would probably agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, look, Seventh Day Adventists. We have this thing that we like to call ourselves. We like to call ourselves the people of the book. Um, 
And we're not the only people who call ourselves that, but we That's do correct. like to say it of ourselves. We like to think that it's ours, even though it's not ours. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's a church I drive past on the way to my church every day, and it literally says the people of the book. Like, <laughs> Cool. <laughs> on this sign out the front. It's like, Great. always always look to the Bible for whatever teachings. And anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's, anyway, but I, I think that's, that's an important distinction. I, I, and I'm glad that you said Jesus and the Bible because, you know, I think that it's easy to, to separate those two sometimes. You know, I, I, I was, I can't remember if I was reading a book or something like that, uh, or maybe it was even a tweet or something like that. But I, I, I've been recently challenged by the idea of being Christ-like versus being biblical, you know, because it's very easy to be biblical um, mm. and stone people to death, which obviously none of us do. <laughs> but yeah. it's also, you know, it's, it's easy to be biblical, but it seems to be a lot harder to be Christ-like. Um, so it's the idea of what are we following? Are we following the Bible or are we following Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that's, and that's what a lot of the early church, there were these different councils that met mm. throughout different stages of the early Christian his, history, like the Council of Nicaea. Um, and we don't, I don't want to go into details because I'm not well read enough to remember what all of the councils were or what they, all of them did. Council of Troy was that another one? Anyway, it was I, the I nicest. It, the Council of Nicaea was the nicest council we ever had. <laughs> anyway, and so <laughs> when things got really out of hand, um, these councils would meet because back then there weren't really denominations. I guess it's. I mean, this sort of were, but uh, it's, mm. anyway, it's very well, different I mean, to what it looks like now. Well, I mean, like, okay, there's a very easy way of thinking about this. The early church all sprang out of Jerusalem, right, yeah. where the original apostles um, lived, and most of them stayed. Peter stayed there. James, the brother of Jesus, stayed there. Uh, and those of them who weren't missionaries, they can't... Jerusalem was the world headquarters for the church, in a way. Then all these other churches started to spring out all around the Mediterranean Rim, Asia Minor, and some into Europe. And those churches basically just became their own mini denominations in a way. It's very many of them just by sheer virtue of isolation. Like, it's not like you could just phone up Peter or James back in Jerusalem and ask them on a point of doctrine or, uh, you know, spiritual practice or anything like that. You had to kind of figure out with what you've been given. And so many of these churches started to practice different things that were not in harmony with what other churches were doing because they were all so isolated. And so that's why you had to have people like the Apostle Paul writing letters to these churches in Corinth or in Ephesus or in Laodicea or whatever to say, hey, you need to fix this up or that up. And so, like, there was one denomination, quote-unquote, but every church had its own flavor because every church had its own contextual issues and contextual um, challenges that it had to deal with. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Um, and so every now and then you get these council meet up and just make a big decision. Um, and so essentially a lot of the core doctrines of Christianity, like general Christianity, were decided by sort of like a group vote of people yeah. who could read who could read the scriptures, you know, because back then reading wasn't as common, that kind of thing. Um, like the letters of Paul and all that would have been would have been read aloud to everybody by the person who probably delivered the letter, I guess. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, interestingly, that's some interesting stuff there. But um, yeah, so they, they would have just listened to it, 
but mo- like so there were very few people who could actually read it but by the people who were actually scholarly enough they would get together have a council make an executive decision share it with everybody and so yeah funnily enough it's like in the, the way that a lot of our doctrine was decided was by committees <laughs> No. <laughs> um, yes, but and I mean, they were trying to force compliance across the board. Well, no. Anyway, uh, but um, <laughs> I mean, they, it's not like they sprung out. Of, like, it's not like they sprung out of nowhere. These people were trusted. The ideas had obviously gained enough traction to gain the attention of people who, are, you know, who should pay attention to it. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of these these leaders were bishops. You know, like we think of bishops as in like Catholic bishops, but pre-Catholic Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, a bishop was just a an influential leader. So you might be the bishop of Trent or the bishop of Constantinople, Constantinople or the bishop of Rome. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So I guess yeah, these ideas would float around, gain traction, people, and then there'd probably be like camps that agreed or disagreed, and then eventually the council would get together and make a decision on it and share what was best. I guess people still had free choice to go on believing what they wanted to, despite the council. Um, And that's generally probably how we have so many denominations today. (laughs) It's pretty much from that same sort of (laughs) thing happening. Um, Yeah. It's like, you can be a heretic if you choose to be, but you're going to be a heretic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, So, I don't know. I always find that interesting to think about, like that, councils and committees have played such a key role in our doctrine but i guess it makes sense and then specifically adventism it's actually kind of the same Mm. um when we had our big um birth in well after 1844 um there was it was kind of messy for that first few years really there are a lot of different Mm. beliefs because a lot of people from the millerite movement um, they'd come from all different churches and all different denominations. They didn't all come from one place, but they all um, believed in the second coming of Jesus and that his soon com- his coming was imminent. And so when 1844 obviously didn't pan out the way they thought it was because um, <laughs> Jesus didn't come, obviously. And um, so they began to basically search the scriptures in search of why. How did yeah. we get this wrong? Which I think is really yeah. cool and really humbling to think about that instead of just abandoning it well there were some who did abandon it but yeah um but a big chunk just chose to dig deeper which is a really cool yeah it's honest it's a really cool mindset that it's just like hey we're wrong but you know god's word is never wrong we need to dig deeper into this and i'm like that is so cool that that's where we came from you know we came from a place of it's like humility really Mm. um and then that's how all of a sudden all these people started seeing scriptures with new eyes i guess in a way yeah which is is interesting because that's that would have been how the early church would have done it It would have been the exact same pattern you know Mm. because before there was an institution before there were bishops before there were you know church officers and all that sort of stuff um you had apostles who you know jesus was had had ascended from heaven they'd suddenly gotten this holy spirit thing that i didn't know what to do with and they were preaching and all these people getting baptized and they were just sitting there going, how do we interpret all this mm. stuff? What's our mission? How do we move forward? Blah, blah, blah. It's really grassroots and it's really, you know, like, let's let's figure it out together with the help of the Spirit and with the help of the Scriptures for those of us who can read. And 
Um, yeah, let's just figure this out. And I think that's what's cool about the early Adventist church. And I, I suppose as well, you could say for the early church of a multitude of, of traditions and denominations, like that mm. would have been how a lot of it would have all started. Um, certainly how the Protestant Reformation started, you know, it wasn't the church saying, hey, we need to launch an official inquiry into the uh, theological validity of XYZ. It was Martin Luther and, you know, Zwingli and, and Huss and a lot of these, you know, Catholic people, priests and lay people and preachers who said, actually, no, we have something new here. There is something new that the church is needs to, to move into and God is taking us in a different direction and that's scary and and exciting and all this all the stuff. Mm. Yeah. Martin Luther. <laughs> hey, that's a nice door. Be a shame if somebody <laughs> nailed a ninety five thesis on it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh. Bam. Uh I love that so, so much. <laughs> anyway. Um Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. And I guess as well, a part of it is seeing like seeing an injustice or seeing mm. something that you believe is clearly wrong, and having the having the guts to search scripture deeply and reflect on it, um, mm. and then yeah, be able to stand, which is also how a lot of denominations yeah. started too. It's that idea of they see something that is just wrong, and so they stand up for what they believe to be the real truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean. But of course, as with any movement, it never stays that way. Um, the <laughs> yeah. the grass the grassroots nature of of these things it can never stay grassroots. Sadly, and yeah. Over yeah, over time, you know, the the Council of Nicaea is a good example for the early church. Um, the formation of the Seventh Adventist Church in eighteen fifty two or eighteen fifty three, I believe it was. Um, and then the subsequent sort of solidifying of power and positions and, you know, coming up with not a creed, coming up with not a creed because um, we don't have a creed, but we, yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't, yeah, but it yeah. gets mistaken to be that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's another, another, com- that that's actually a good podcast. We should do that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> we need to stop yeah. saying that in our podcasts, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I get, and it's, it's sort of the same for us in that we, so we, after 1844, we sort of had all these ideas floating around and, um, you know, some people were anti-Trinitarian, some people were Trinitarian, some people thought Sabbath should go from 6pm till 6pm, um, other people were like, I don't know, should be sunset to sunset, you know, um, some people were pro-vegetarian, some people were, an- you know, anti-vegetarian or whatever and just all of these different ideas. Um, so, anyway, and then eventually we had like general conferences you know, it was essentially a really, really, really big council that got together and it was a group vote. Um, yeah. 1888, Minneapolis was a really key one that solidified a, a bunch of our key doctrines, including salvation by um, faith and grace, you know, yeah. which is... Yeah. We got yeah, back to thank, committees. Thank goodness we got that one in. But um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. interesting that I guess it's the same, except just on a much bigger and more modern scale and... Um, because That's a lot right. more people, I guess, in those times were Bible literate than back in the early church. More mm. more people could read. So, mm. um, yeah, I guess it's it's interesting that that could be opened up more to the general. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I think I think now would be a really good time to just have a look at some of the different ways that we gain our authority from. Um, Richard Raw does a really good treatise on this. I don't know if you've seen or heard him talk about this, um, but he basically the metaphor that he uses with his students is um, everybody has something which they uh, they rely on, but he talks about it in terms of a tricycle. So, you know those little tricycles that have like three wheels? Yes, I know what a tricycle is, Jesse. Thank cool. you for explaining just, a tricycle to me. I'm just making sure, okay, man. I'm just making, I'm just, I'm taking care of you. Okay. Come, on. Um, Come on. You know, Josh, a tricycle, <laughs> those things with three wheels. Of course I know what a tricycle is. Everybody knows what a tricycle is. You know that You know that thing called a book? You know, you have oh pages my goodness. and you read it. Uh, anyway, so that everybody, everybody's riding a tricycle is what he says. And... The three wheels represent three different modes of understanding. So we either gain our uh, authority from experience, so our own personal experience, scripture, and tradition. So what he says is, and he, he's, he's a, a Catholic Franciscan monk. So he says, well, okay, on the one hand, you have the Catholics, and they emphasize tradition on everything else, you know, the, the seat of saint peter um the vicar of rome all that sort of stuff and then you have the protestants who say what's well, scripture scripture is our foundation for our for authority and that's not even getting into like well how do we know who defines what scripture actually means and what it says and what are the implications are so that's you know that's a whole different conversation but then he says most people say that they believe or they have foundational um, authority uh, under one of those first two things. But in reality, most people actually fall under the third wheel and that's our experience. Mm. Yes, for Catholics, tradition is important. Yes, for Protestants, scripture is important. But at the end of the day, we are most influenced by our own personal experience. And we allow that to shape our authority structures way more than we want to admit. Hmm. Yeah, I would say that's pretty true. You know, like, the times that I've talked about how, like, for example, being a pastor, I've looked at heaps of research on, you know, the most effective ways that a pastor should be spending their time and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, whether a pastor should be doing visits and stuff all week and whatever. But at the end of the day, I can explain that to a church member and they'll be say, but but in my experience, like a pastor who visits is the best kind of pastor. doesn't matter what kind of research I put in. doesn't matter what kind of Bible I use. doesn't matter what our traditions are. They're like, but this is how it affected me. So this is what you should do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because at the, at the end of the day, we're all the hero of our own story, aren't we? And our opinion is the best opinion because... Obviously. We're human beings with ego. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To put it in the most crass way possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's it's true though. Like it's... I mean, we don't like to say that and admit... Well, we like to say that and admit that, but most people yeah. don't like to say that and admit that. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I would say that... I'd say that's pretty true. I, I'd say that checks out a lot. And I think that's a, I think that's another interesting reason. I reckon that's a... This is, again, another side note, but I reckon there's another reason why the Pentecostal church at the moment is growing so, um, so radically. Um, mm. It's one of the denominations that's got like the fastest growth track records at the moment. Why and is that? I think it's because I emphasize experience so much. Hmm. I don't agree with it 100%, obviously. I mean, I agree that partially, but a huge part of what they... Like, I've seen a whole bunch of churches where their their big tagline is come and experience God. You know what I mean? 
Interesting. Uh, and that's, yeah. And, you know, a whole bunch of it is like what you feel and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They really, yeah. they lean on that, which is, yeah. I'm not saying it's what we all should be doing, but I think it's something that we could learn from, interestingly enough. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, in their definition, they're like, well, this is what we've experienced and this is, it works and it's worked in yeah. our experience. So this is what we're going to continue sharing that and pushing that. Yeah. Yeah, man. As a, as a Seventh-day Adventist, that's really challenging. Hey because that your typical Adventist would look at that. And I would say probably also your typical mainline, maybe evangelical Baptist, because, you know, the Baptists, like it's one of the biggest um, sort of streams of Christianity um, would say that, you know, like that's just emotionalism. You know, we're just, it's all about emotions and all that sort of stuff. But I think <laughs> it's true. I mean, we, our experience just dictates so much. Oh, yeah. I mean, Emotions are real. You can't you can't ignore them, which I think is what I know. But we try in my in my experience, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of the traditional Adventist mindset was like, oh no no, emotion can't come too much into it because you know you have to believe in in spirit and in truth, you know that sort of thing. Yeah it's, yeah yeah. But and, I think I think part of where we've come from is that emotions are slippery and tricky, and they'll they'll deceive you. Which I respect. Do you know what I mean? I do respect that, and I think you can get too you can. You can rely too much on your emotions, and if that means if you're like if you're not feeling it that day, well, God must not be there or whatever. Like that's a dangerous sure. path to go down. But again, Absolutely. it's that experience is leaning into well, and that's the thing. Like you look at it, the Pentecostal movement, and that's how they've defined what Christianity is. It's like an experience. Whereas mm. in other denominations, their de- their definition has become it's like a, something you learn. Yeah. Well, to use that metaphor, I think it's really interesting when you look at things like like um, our conversation that we had a few weeks ago with Kanye West and the General Conference, because our experience with those two things are so wildly different. You know, the experience that your average listener has with Kanye West mm. is just very different to the experience that you would have if you're watching a live stream or if you're attending a church meeting, such as the General Conference's annual council. Um the experience that I had with Kanye West was one of, you know, like just pure joy, um, pure sort of Christianity uh, of, wow, this is a radical, crazy new thing and I'm actually enjoying it. Um, and of course, that experience varies. You know, your your mileage may vary but when it comes to that. But when I see the experience that we have with um, annual council, at least if the Twitter sphere is anything to, um, to, to go by, I mean... Like, <laughs> many people were like, this is the greatest thing in the world. But a whole bunch more people were saying, this is the worst thing in the world as far as, um, as, as far as the conversations that we're having and the way that a lot of ideas and facts were, were shared. Um, and I think that experience matters. And, and I also think that as a world church, we're in a really tricky situation because on the one hand, we are a world church made up of diverse people and cultures and all that sort of stuff. And yet, if you're a, a Christian, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian or just a Christian living in the South Pacific, your experience of what Christianity is like is going to vary wildly from what it means to somebody living in the United States or somebody in Africa or somebody in South America. You know what I mean? Like, experience just is so 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 influenced by culture it's so influenced by um the 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 world around us 
uh, language, all this sort of stuff. Um, and so I think when it comes to what defines uh, what Christianity is, I think before we look at the tenets of our faith, the things that are written in stone or not written in stone, I think first we're going to look at the experience around us. Um, I just think that's inevitable. Mm. Yeah, no. True. I can say for <laughs> I can say for certain, my Christian experience has changed as a result of listening to Kanye West's album. Okay. How so? I can. Well, I I just think that it's opened up my eyes to the fact that of what God can do in somebody. You know, mm. it's like, enlarged I, my picture of grace. Yeah. Yes, it definitely has enlarged my picture of grace as well, and it's it's given me. One of the things that, that, that church growth gurus say is, you know, evangelism is so important because you always want new people in your church because new people breathe fresh life into um, people who have been Christians for ages. You know, people who have found grace and found Christ for the first time and who are just reveling in the fact that they've been forgiven, they've been set free, they're a new creation. Like those people revitalize people who are maybe a little bit stale. And I think that's what Kanye's done for me a little bit in my listening and my music listening experiences. Here's somebody who is um, just fresh. He's a new Christian. He's just loving grace. He's he's struggling with the all the things of being a new Christian stuff that I don't struggle with anymore because like I'm an old Christian. Um, and that just, I think that's a breath of fresh air for me. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, I mean... I think for me, when I, when I think about this, because I think about like how open we are to to new new experiences and new ideas coming in. Like a big pillar of Adventism um, has always been that idea of present truth. Um, so it's it's you know Second Peter uh, chapter one verse twelve is is sort of where it comes from, but it's it's. It's the idea that God has a truth for us today, and it's something we have to keep digging deeper to to, to understand. Uh, and so, um, it's it's interesting. That's always been a big a, a big pillar of Adventism, and so to get there, I think there is a certain openness that is required that I think some people are afraid of, and um, I think what we've seen by all the by all, like our, our history is that is that Christianity in a way needs to be it needs to be defined by your personal experience but it also is defined in a way by your community mm. it's never Christianity is never something done in isolation it's well it's never done well in isolation from what I've seen it's always done best in community and that's how it's always painted in scripture that's what's always pushed uh, it's always something that it's it's never a solo act it's always you know, you can be converted solo, but eventually community is, is where Jesus tends to push or the Holy Spirit tends to lead us. Um, and so I think a lot of the time Christianity is actually also decided by the openness of your community, how open they are to new 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 ideas and new understandings, new methods. Um, what maybe yeah. being a Christian looks like in 2019 might be different to what it looked like in 2016 or 2013 yeah. or 1993 you know yeah. um and as well i think it's that but also discernment which is something we don't talk enough about um but the idea of discernment like how far 
like can they actually discern what's what's good and what's bad and uh that's i mean that's a big part of our podcast really is sort of a buzzword beneath us is is discernment that's burning haystacks 101 um and so like how how well can your your community discern what's good and what's bad from the old or from the new Hmm. that's that's really for me what what a, a defining Christianity is. It's it comes down to what how the openness and discernment of your community is what defines Christianity for you. Yeah. But then your experience is also going to define who your community is, funnily enough. <laughs> huh. That's really interesting. Yeah, no, and you're so right. And I would also add to that, um, the more your community becomes like Babylon the further away from actual truth and honest discernment you're going to get. Mm, interesting. Man, I wonder how many episodes in a row we can mention Babylon. Bro. <laughs> I think we're like, at four or five right now. <laughs> Maybe more. Like, I think I, the reason, but the thing is, the reason it keeps coming up is because it's this cancer that just kind of worms its way into everything. It's That's so, true. Yeah, it's so pernicious. It's true. Um, yeah, but it's a great point you bring up, though. Like, how much has Babylon infected your community? And how much has it infected you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what you don't that's want to right. think about. Because that's that's the that's the temptation, isn't it? As soon as a movement is codified and, and starts moving into the realm of being more of an institution, which is what our tradition has become, um, and we talk so much about how we need to be a movement, we need to be a movement, but we're so unwilling to actually make ourselves a movement again. You know, because like... Being, going back to a movement would mean a whole bunch of people would lose their jobs, a whole bunch of people that are really interested in keeping their jobs. And I'm not attacking leadership and I'm not attacking anything like that. I'm just saying that the more that peop- that the, the structure of our movement becomes dependent on bureaucrats and administrators, the more those bureaucrats and administrators are tempted to continue to sustain the system that's been built in order to protect their own their own authority, their own structure, their own jobs, essentially. Mm. But what we're bringing on is like a rage against the machine. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's just like you just can't say yes to the man. Oh. <laughs> 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 anyway, I, I, I think um, I think that... I, no, actually, you know what? I'm going to stick with it. Rage against the machine. It's, it's this idea of like the, the machine... The more... Adventism looks like a machine the more we want to like rage against it and and that's why it's funny you see I mean I just saw before like some post on some Adventist forum thing and it was like a discussion about Kanye West or whatever it was kind of fun and you know talking about Kanye West gets clicks we all know that so why wouldn't why wouldn't somebody tackle it and this person's (laughs) just like this is why Adventism needs to die off you know because it is and I'm like nah man this is like exactly the rage against the machine that we need right now to shake everything up yeah. Uh, and that's exactly what we were birthed from really yeah. is this idea that we we have to we have to see for ourselves we have to see what Jesus is doing we have to fall back to the word and also we have to see well what are we actually experiencing right now what's the holy spirit doing through us well can i challenge can i challenge us like collectively us you and me and our listeners as well like you dear listener who is listening to this as a listener anyway um the <laughs> The Do you original... need to define what a listener is, Jesse? <laughs> a listener Are you going to mansplain that as listen. well? <laughs> I'm, I'm not 
mansplaining just because I'm a man doesn't you mean a I'm thousand mans- percent mansplained a tricycle <laughs> to me, another man. <laughs> all right, it's a definition of mansplaining. Wow. Anyway, wow. all right, keep going. Hashtag feminism. All right. Um. So, a. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh no, yeah, I, I know what I was going to say. Christianity, the movement of Jesus, started out of an institution that had become too tight. Right, so Jesus comes onto the scene and you have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees, you have the Sanhedrin, you have the Jewish faith, the Jewish Orthodox, foundational, passed down from Moses himself faith that has been codified, that has been solidified into this stodgy, uh, legalistic system that has kept the Jewish people sort of under the thumb and spiritually, emotionally, all this sort of stuff. And Jesus comes on the scene to say, hey, God had something more in mind. God had something better in mind. Mm. God has a new covenant that we can live under, and it's better than the old covenant. And here I am to declare that the kingdom of God is now and that we can live as new creations right now. And my call is to for you to follow me. So then that movement starts out and breaks away this this, this sect, this subsect of Judaism becomes this movement which just completely radicalizes the world in a good way. But then that movement, in turn, gets institutionalized. And we see the rise of the Roman Catholic Church and we see the split between East and West and you have the, the Roman Catholic Church in the West and then you have the Eastern Orthodox Church in the, in the East and, you know, these two systems and they both become very institutionalized and, and ritualized and, you know, they take on the form of ancient paganism in some ways in the way that they emphasize power and structure and authority. And then you have Martin Luther and you have the reformers who come along and he nails his 95 theses to the wall, to the door of the church at Wittenberg. And, and then this, this Protestant Reformation starts to, to radicalize the movement of Jesus again, to get it back to sola scriptura. Mm. And you have all these Protestant denominations that spring up in this. And then what happens to those Protestant denominations? They do the same thing that all the other movements before them did and they institutionalize and they solidify and they establish power structures and they and they promote people to positions of authority and 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 you know influence and then you have the adventist church which you know is part of this new wave i suppose of of more recent denominations um you know i suppose in the last 100 200 years that starts out as this movement saying we have to get back to scripture and you know there's this whole this whole second coming thing and then after 150 200 years what does the adventist church do same thing so the my challenge is um what is the next what is the next movement you know what is the next sort of breakaway from um not not dishonoring or trying to get rid of the old system because as we've seen throughout history the old system is always going to be there it's not like the jewish faith died it's not like the catholic churches died it's not like the the reformers you know you know martin lutherism or anything um anything like that that hasn't gone away but there's always something new to to mix up and to i guess point people towards a better way of doing things so what is that next thing and mm. i i personally hope that we see that in our lifetime. And if we don't see that in our lifetime, maybe in our children's lifetime. So let's be people that actually looks to the past, honors 
the authority and the structures that have come before us, but look to the future and say, what is the next new thing that God is wanting to do? Because ultimately, I think, as you said before, it centers around people, communities who get together and who honestly seek God and seek to know his will and seek to understand where God is pushing us and where God is leading us to in this new brave world, this new next era. Yeah. So it's, it's, actually, it's actually up to us not to just think about what Christianity is now, but what will it look like in the future? So what, yeah. it's not just who defines it now, but we define it for the future. Oh, get chills yeah. just thinking yeah. about it. You know, like how exciting, how far can we go with this? <laughs> it, how radical yeah. can it look like yeah. to follow Jesus in 2020? And, you know, you might be listening to this in three or four years from now, but, you know, what is it? how radical could it be to follow Jesus in, in 2025, 2030, yeah. 2040? Um, Continue to rage against the machine, my friends. Oh, yeah. A bull's on parade. <laughs> yeah all right so yeah. i think that's is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up man no i think that's a good place yeah um so i uh i'm excited about it but we'd love to hear your feedback on i don't know what you think about this idea that we're wrestling with and moving forward who defines what christianity is what's all this sparked in you um we'd love to hear from you so get in touch with us you can do it on social media, but the best place to find all things Burn the Haystack is burnthehaystack.org. You can see our blog. You can see our links to everything. Um, you can see photos of us where we look... Well, my photo is horrible, but Jesse looks nice. Um, I got a pretty chronic double chin. I'm not super happy with my photo either. <laughs> <laughs> we should both get new photos. We should. We should. Um, and if you guys haven't already, um, please subscribe to us on whatever podcatching app that you use um, and uh, leave us a review. Uh, we love to, to get reviews, help us to become more uh, out there and more visible. And if you don't have a podcatching app that allows you to uh, leave a review, just leave a review on iTunes. That'd be really helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We love you. Stay awesome. This is Josh and Jesse out. Bam. Gotcha. You didn't see that coming, did you? I was unprepared. (laughs) <laughs> you are not prepared. Do you know where that's from? Sorry, I don't know what that was. It's like a Chewbacca was like had a furball. <laughs> Do you know what I was quoting? Did you get my reference? Uh, you are not prepared. Oh, you were Illidan. Yeah. <laughs> Illidan Stormrage. <laughs> Ten thousand years. <laughs> oh man, he's, he's my all-time favorite World of Warcraft character. Wow. Yep. Followed closely by the Lich King. As in Arthas, the original, not As in Arthas? Yep. Yeah, not not Bolvar. Nah. <laughs> did you see the did you see the cinematic yeah. for the new I'm Like come on Bolvar, like put some effort in. You're the Lich King. But he didn't have Frostmourne, so I guess it's not really the same. What happened to Frostmourne? Did it get broken or something? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I didn't play the Lich King expansion, so I'm not I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean I played a a little bit of it, but I never actually got to the Lich King. I never even got to Illidan in Burning Crusade, but anyway. <sighs> oh, okay. Because those were the days when to yeah, get to, to just to get to level 60 was the achievement. <laughs> Let alone the <laughs> end game content.
now you can just literally pay to get to level what is the level cap uh, now 100 probably 120 or something yeah uh, yeah i know it's crazy ridiculous. but yeah honestly back there like and i've shown i've seen like people do like measurements of how long how long it used to take to get to 60 and now how long it takes to get to level 120 and it's quicker now to get to level 120 than it was to get to like level 40 or something back in the day that's unbelievable yeah i know especially that's and that's not even counting like if you have all the xp boosts and things you get and pro gear and anyway uh, yeah so dumb yeah honestly that little the, the games like wow and runescape they just got killed by the microtransactions the pay to win mechanics all that sort of stuff it's just, casuals oh, it's just, to be honest like casuals killed it too with world of warcraft because yeah. they just kept complaining and so blizzard just kept doing all these little quality of life improvements to the point where yeah the game was just too easy yeah it's kind of where feedback actually killed the killed the game which is interesting rare. yeah but that, that that's an interesting topic in and, in and of itself like like we could talk about that. How much how much feedback do you take on board? Ah, how much feedback like how much feedback can you listen to before it actually ruins what you have? Which yeah. is that actually does relate to today. I, I suppose. I don't know, mate. If you want to use that as a metaphor, I'm I'm sure I'd be interested to go there. I don't, I don't know. I, I maybe I haven't. I don't think I've well well enough fleshed it out to. It's a bit too much of a risk. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All anyway, right. that's all good. All right. Let's get into it then. 